Welcome to Encounter God's Truth, a weekly faith-building presentation of Whitcomb Ministries. I'm Wayne Shepherd, your host. If you listen to this program regularly, you know that our mission is to declare that God's Word is true from the beginning to the end. And today we'll do that specifically by concluding the theme we began last time, seeing Christ Jesus as Alpha and Omega, and applying that truth to gain a perspective that will help us serve Him in these often distressing times. We begin by turning to a passage that Dr. Whitcomb thinks of as his life verses, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-3. through 3. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. This passage is really the practical outworking of our faith in Christ as Alpha and Omega, because it gives us the strategy by which we must endeavor to preach and teach the entirety of Scripture in order to reach the world for the Savior. Here now is Dr. Whitcomb to explain how this text has shaped his life and thinking. Friends, I invite you to listen to one of my favorite verses of the New Testament. Uh, If I have a life verse, this might be it. It's the Apostle Paul's application of the Great Commission of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, something serious is going to be mentioned here. That's why he introduces it with a very strong statement to his favorite disciple, Timothy, in the last letter he ever wrote. You, therefore, my son, said Paul to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, something you need strength to do. Skip down to the third verse. Listen to this. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Something is going to be requiring strength and courage. What is it? Now, listen here. The things, verse 2, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You say, what do you mean that's Paul's application of the Great Commission of Jesus? Well, if you turn back to Matthew 28, the last couple verses of the book Gospel of Matthew, you'll hear what the Lord Jesus Christ told us to do. Here's his Great Commission. Now listen carefully. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now listen to what we're supposed to do now. Teaching them, that is, all the nations of the world, everybody in the world, to observe what? All that I commanded you. The whole Bible. I mean, the whole Bible ultimately came from Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always. Well, thank you, Lord, because what you told us is impossible. How can I teach everybody in the world everything you said? Impossible. But God says, dear child, listen to me. I'm with you. Ah, that's the difference. Paul, you know, said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But I can't do anything without him. Without me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. Watch the connection. You and Jesus. I and Jesus. Together. Doing the Great Commission teaching them to do what? To observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What a commission that is. So the Apostle Paul, implementing that for his favorite disciple, puts it in different terms, but the same basic thought. Now listen carefully. He said to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.2, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses... He had many fellow servants like Silas and Barnabas and so forth that went with him in his missionary journeys, you remember. These 
entrust to faithful men, not just some of them, not just the most popular things, the easy things, the most uh, pleasant things, the things, everything that I taught you, you are to do what? Entrust to faithful men, not just everybody, to faithful men. You say, what are faithful men? Answer, men who will be able to teach others also. You see, here's the chain reaction that sweeps the world of mankind. Each one, teach one, teach one. You say, Lord, help me to implement that in my life. Beginning, of course, with my own family, my own children, grandchildren. Help me in any way possible to give them materials, helps, Bible study materials, to understand what you meant by what you said in the only book you've ever written. The Great Commission of the Lord Jesus Christ, implemented, supplemented, explained by the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul, of course, is referring back to what he had just said to Timothy in chapter 1. He said, For this reason, Timothy, I suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed First Timothy, Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I believed and am convinced that he, Jesus, is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Therefore, he says to Timothy, retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Now, Paul, in his last letter, writing from prison, you remember, in Rome, where he was to die, adds his sad footnote in 2 Timothy 1.15. He said to Timothy, You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me and named some people. How sad. He spent several years there, remember, started a whole school of theology, the school of Tyrannus, and taught everything God has said in the Bible to those disciples who are willing to learn and listen. Well, what does it mean then when he says, all they of Asia have turned away from me? They hadn't lost their salvation, but they lost their respect for him, his standards, his, his absolute unswerving obedience to God's word. They had become more relaxed, more liberal in their thinking. You remember how the Apostle John accused them of leaving their first love, Revelation chapter 2. How sad. Friends, the mark of a true disciple is not necessarily how popular you are, how many thousands of people look up to you. No, you may end with only a handful of people who say, Sir, I, I agree with you, I stand with you in your handling of God's precious word. We're not proud or arrogant of the fact, friends, we don't go around trying to make enemies or make things difficult for people. We just say, Lord, help me graciously, patiently, prayerfully to commit to people who are teachable, who are open to God's word everything you've entrusted to me. That's sort of one of my mottos, friends. Everything you learn, tell somebody else. Prayerfully, patiently, prayerfully, tell somebody else who will be willing to listen. What a joy it is to have a disciple like Paul had in Timothy who will do that. So Paul then went on to explain how to do this to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Here it is. Are you ready, friend? Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. My, well, what do I have to do to have that blessing, to have that assurance? Answer, handling accurately the word of truth. Pray to God to help you find exactly what each verse, each word of the Bible means. Uh, have a concordance, have a good Bible dictionary, have a good a Bible, a study Bible with cross-references. Uh, look up verses. The Bible, remember, is its own best interpreter, not what some scholar has said necessarily. We don't despise Bible scholars. Some of them are helpful. Many pastors are very helpful. But the main thing is you yourself, even if you're not a pastor or a teacher, 
Search the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. So you will not be ashamed because you've done what? You've handled accurately the word of truth. So you can see, friends, why that's one of my life verses. Because I was raised in a military family. And I understand a little bit about the discipline it takes to be a soldier. I was a soldier in the Second World War, in the Battle of the Bulge in December '44 in Belgium. Uh, I, was, I was a sergeant in the 84th Infantry Division. My father was an officer in the Third Army under General Patton. And he was a chief of staff, a colonel. And we knew something. He was a West Point graduate, too. Knew something of what? Suffering hardship as a good soldier. And what, what does a soldier have to do? Well, Second Timothy 2, 4, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Infinitely superior, friends, to any military man, not to disparage the military of our government, is a soldier of Jesus Christ who loves the people to whom he speaks and tells them everything they need to know about the Savior of the world and about the precious, infallible, inerrant, inspired Word of God. And it's a battle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age, namely satanic, demonic powers who want to distort the Bible, distract people from reading it, believing it, understanding it. And I say, Lord, I want to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I want to master whatever you have revealed and do what? And teach others also that they might, in a chain reaction around the world, reach every person on this planet with the true gospel of ours, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Have you become distracted away from the Word of God or from the mission of helping to share its message with every person around the world? Well, we've provided a wealth of serious biblical resources to feed your own soul and to help you impart God's truth to others, and it's all freely available at sermonaudio.com slash Whitcomb. We also attempt to encourage you on our social media pages, facebook.com slash Ministries. To get started, just visit our website, WhitcombMinistries.org. Well, Dr. Whitcomb is constantly called upon to answer biblical and theological questions. In this next part, we're going to listen to him handle questions about creation and prophecy, focusing on both aspects of the Alpha and Omega. We trust you'll find this helpful. Um, concerning uh, Genesis on the seventh day, how would you explain that um, in correlation to uh, chapter 2, verse 4, when it says these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, and in that day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens because the literal seven days with that scripture is hard to explain even in correlation to Psalms 90 of being a literal seven days and not generations of those days. A thousand years in thy sight. Or like yesterday, when it passes by, or is a watch in the night. Is that the verse you're asking about? All right. Very good. Very appropriate. You say, this kingdom is going to last for a thousand years? Well, dear friends, to God, a thousand years is but as a day, and a day is as a thousand. He doesn't get any older, any wiser. He learns nothing more at all. And so I've often said to people, When we get to heaven, perhaps God will sit us down and say, Dear child, I'm going to give you a lecture now. It'll last a thousand years, no coffee breaks. (laughs) I'm going to tell you everything you wondered about, worried about, questioned. I'll give you the answers. And you see to God, dear friends, the passing of these thousands of years, he doesn't get any older. Now that's hard to imagine. Because the Bible says three score years and ten 
and if by reason of strength fourscore, and yet soon we're cut off and fly away. One hundred years were done, with rare exceptions. What about a thousand years? Wow, we're done, 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 done. <laughs> but the Lord isn't any older. He didn't get tired. And I say, Lord, help me to see things from his perspective, through his eyes, about the timing of past, present, and future events as he views it, as he's told us in his precious word. I hope that was helpful. Thank you. You said the, um, the period before the fall was about or less than one month. I was just wondering how you uh, came to that conclusion that it was less than one month because I don't recall any inclinations on just how long that period is before the fall. The reason we say one month is because uh, it seems unlikely. I mean, this is just our reasoning. It seems unlikely that when God told Adam and Eve that uh, they were one flesh, she was his wife, they were to have children. It's hard to believe that years would go by before a child was conceived. Not even one year, not even one month. And that's why we're just guessing. We're just saying within one month, the fall, the curse. And then, who was the first baby ever conceived? Cain, an evil, wicked man. Then soon, of course, his brother, Abel, whom he murdered. So human history... uh, was launched on that basis. Just interesting, as we talk about the end times, I'm looking at Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, in verse 11, it says, Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. Speaking of after the rapture, do you think it is at all possible that someone who had heard the gospel before the rapture could receive Christ after the rapture. Yes. Millions of people. I mean, we have a very short time, seven years, friends. Seven short years. Millions of people will believe. But guess what? They'll be destroyed. The Antichrist will kill almost all of them. Bloodshed everywhere. Do you begin to see some of that possibility in the Near East today? Something is beginning to happen. Believers are being murdered. You say, how awful. That's a mere glimpse of what's coming. And I say, Lord, help me to, to understand something. If a person today hears the gospel, and by the way, many Jews have heard the gospel as well about the Messiah. Their whole ministry is reaching Israel for the Jews. Jews for Jesus and all kinds of friends of Israel and so forth. Tens and hundreds of thousands of Israelis have heard about Messiah and have rejected him. But when the Great Tribulation comes, almost the whole nation will be converted. And that's true of Gentiles too, dear friends, today. I don't want to think of a person saying, well, I'll just wait till after the rapture and then I'll decide. Don't ever think you have one more minute to decide.
but in the tribulation. Millions of people, Jew and Gentile, who've heard the gospel during the church age will repent, be born again, be saved, killed. That's my understanding. Indeed, we must have a sense of urgency about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that leads us into our final teaching segment today, in which we further consider these obligations. Once again, Dr. Whitcomb looks at each end of the biblical spectrum and provides insights that should motivate us to serve the Lord at this pivotal time in history. So here's Dr. Whitcomb to share some of his own enthusiasm, as well as a concluding word of prayer. This is uh, amazing. God always uses people to accomplish things that he can do by himself but refuses to. Just like the book of Philippians says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to do his work. And I see, I, I see the point. So friends, as, the, as those animals in the ark, the door slammed shut, the flood came. I, I hate to think of this. People get, be, begin to wonder, well, what's going? What, what are these animals all going over there for? They must have some premonition of a global disaster. Let's climb the hills to escape the local flood. The higher they climbed, the higher the waters rose and picked them off by hundreds and thousands and millions. Here's my opinion. That's all it is. It's an opinion. While they were drowning, some of them might have believed what they heard and were saved. Like the thief on the cross, too late to get down, not too late to believe. God wants all men to believe. I say thank you, God, for what you've done. So friends, day after day, week after week, month after month, that flood got swept higher and higher and farther and farther until finally something special happened. Listen to the end of Genesis chapter 7. Are you there now? Chapter 7, verse 24. And the water prevailed. Upon the earth 150 days. You say, well, surely by now Noah's dead and the animals are... No. Everything is under control. Really? What do you mean? Five months of global catastrophe? We'll look at the next verse. And God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark. What does that mean? May I announce clearly, emphatically, what it does not mean? It does not mean that God was so busy bringing the flood that he forgot about Noah and the animals, and finally, five months later, he woke up and said, oh, yes, and remembered them. What blasphemy. You mean God can't think of two things at once? Friends, zakar, in Hebrew, special verb. When God remembers, it means he does what? He takes care of somebody. He takes, makes supernatural provision for somebody. It's the amazing word that the thief on the cross used next to Jesus. He said, Lord, what? Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He certainly didn't mean, please recall I was here. What comfort would that have brought him? He meant, Lord, provide my need. And Jesus said, this day shalt thou be with me in paradise. Friends, that's powerful. I say thank you, God. Thank you. And friends, 
Months later, Noah and the animals left the ark and began to move across the world. And I say, thank you, God, for that record of what happened in that great catastrophe. You know, friends, I, I can almost visualize, can't you? In those final months before the flood began, maybe a delegation of pre-flood scientists came up and said, Sir, what are you doing up here building this gigantic thing? And Noah said, There's a flood coming. A flood? There's never been a flood. Well, gentlemen, I haven't lived 600 years for nothing. I know a lot of what's not happened. I'm telling you something that has never happened, that God says will happen, and only those in this ark can be saved. How many of them believed? None. Not one. Amazing. And friends, you know, don't you, that the New Testament says that at the end of the world, there'll be another flood, a flood of fire that'll sweep the world. Why? Because people believe this? No. They've rejected creation and the flood. And I say, Lord, help us to understand what this means. Creation and the flood. When the great fire flood comes at the end of the millennium, only those inside of Jesus Christ, the ark of salvation, will be saved. Jesus, Jesus said, I'm the door. By me, if any man enter in, he'll be saved. I'll take care of you. And once you, by faith, enter into that ark of salvation, the Savior of the world, God the Father will shut that door you rise above the highest flames and landed upon a new earth in which dwells righteousness forever. No one else is there, just you and those like you who believed in him, Jesus. He said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I'm making lowly of heart. And I'll give you rest. I'll take care of you. Do you believe in him? Do you know him? Do you tell people about him? In God's mercy as I still have perhaps a short time to be on this earth. Everywhere I go I want to give a gospel track to somebody. Between them and the Lord it's it's for them to read and believe. And so it was my privilege April 4th to fly with 100 veterans from the Second World War on a, an honor flight to Washington, D.C. And we were greeted by, it looked like hundreds of people everywhere went waving flags, saying, gave out gospel tracts, gospel tracts. We're still working on that. Pray that we'll get a message to people that they might be saved before it's too late. And I say, Lord, there's one thing you've told us that I want to be very sure about. <clears throat> You could come for us today. It's called the rapture. The dead in Christ shall rise first. As we pass the cemetery coming up this way, I thought about that. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds of glory in the air to meet the Lord, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Are you ready? Do you know him? Is he your savior? Have you trusted his finished work on that cross, his bodily resurrection from the dead, and his wonderful promises? God be with you, friends. Thank you 
Let's pray. Now, Father, you know these things, some things are hard to be understood that you've told us about over and over again in the precious Bible. Creation, the curse, the flood, the Tower of Babel, especially, of course, the coming of the Lord Jesus, his crucifixion and resurrection, his payment of the price of our sin, the coming rapture of the church, the judgment seat of Christ, the great tribulation, the thousand... The second coming, the thousand-year kingdom, Father, help us to realize that one step at a time, you're marching across this world, leading us to yourself, because you so love the world, you gave your only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him may not come into judgment, but have everlasting life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We leave you today with that gospel invitation. If you desire to know much more about what you've heard on this edition of Encounter God's Truth, just click on sermonaudio.com slash Whitcomb. That's also the place to go to hear this broadcast again or share it with others. And we want to thank Victory Baptist Church in Whiteland, Indiana, and Prairie Baptist Church in Noblesville, Indiana, for permission to bring you portions of today's broadcast. Now for Dr. John Whitcomb, I'm Wayne Shepherd, closing with the words of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth.